I'm Amy Wagner. Welcome to the best of Simply Money. Each week we put together some of our favorite segments from the 55 Karacy radio show exclusively for this podcast. The first half of 2021 is behind us. Can you believe it? Steve and I look back at how the economy, stock market, and you have recovered. We also talk about the widespread implications of a potential nurse strike at the University of Cincinnati Medical Center and break down the expensive promises of annuities. Finally, Greg McBride, a CFA and chief financial analyst at Bankrate.com, joins me to discuss Americans' favorite long-term investments and who may have it all wrong. Tonight, the financial lessons from the first half of 2021 and what maybe you can expect moving forward. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. How are we halfway through 2021 already? But I think back to like last March in the beginning of this pandemic, in some ways it seems like like time has been standing still and in other ways it's been going so quickly. Yeah, you know, it's been it's been so weird. I, I mean, you talk about a year ago, Amy, and, you know, my home office was in my basement, which, yeah. you know, um, no windows, at least, you know, one tiny one. You know, so here I am downstairs. The world feels like it's crashing. I can go outside and listen to birds chirping. Everything's good. But then I go back and watch, you know, markets tanking and pandemics and lockdowns and everything else. It was pretty darn depressing. And, and you know, just look around now. I, I mean, yeah. it's it, it's amazing. The dominoes, once they started falling, they started falling quicker and quicker. And, man, I, I don't think anybody thought we'd be get getting back to normalcy this quickly. If I had to say, right, what the, t- the the most what I'm most surprised about so far in 2021, I think it would be how quickly we are yeah. getting back to normal. And you know, I mean, there were hiccups in the beginning of the vaccine rollups, without a doubt, de- will roll out without a doubt, but they were minor, I think, in comparison to what they could have been. And when you yeah. when you look at the fact that by what I think it was the beginning of April, most vaccinations were open to most Americans, uh, and in it's like once people get that second shot of the arm and wait two weeks most of them are back out there and i'm talking back out there traveling visiting yeah. family yeah. going back to whatever normal looked like before this all started oh no kidding i i mean you know i drive to work obviously you know like the old days i'm in nine to five and and yeah i can vouch for people are back to normal because <laughs> traffic jams again okay i gotta take the back road today you know it's it's it, it kind of caught me by surprise but kind of not also because you know we're americans we don't like to be told what to do we don't like especially to be told what we can't do yes. so you know once once you know things started to open up a little bit the you know it's it's the crack in the dam it just got bigger and bigger and boom floodgates are open you know it's it everybody wants to get back out try you know going out to dinner getting a table on a friday night stuff like that it's it's yeah it's it's happening quickly but not not all around the world i mean the uk they're not back open yet. They open up next month, you know, mm-hmm. so we are definitely leading the charge on getting back to normal, which means spending money and, you know, all of these issues that we're dealing with. Of What, what do you mean? I, I, I want to get a new car and you can't get it to me in five weeks. You know, yeah. so well, there are some issues because we did open up so quickly, but I'd rather open up quickly than not quickly. One thing that doesn't surprise me at all is the strength of our economy right now. Because we knew fundamentally when we went into this global pandemic that we were strong. 
It wasn't like we were in 2007, 2008 when there was there were major cracks in the foundation yeah. of how our economy was operating. We weren't in that place. We were kind of firing at all cil- cylinders. So yeah. it was like we shut down and then when we reopened. We kind of picked up where we started. And because of the Fed, our nation's central mm-hmm. bank and what Congress did to kind of keep the economy juiced during the time when we were shut down, it was like going not going from like zero to 20. It's like we went from zero to 80 very quickly. Yeah. And I, I, you know, not that I had a premonition or I'm certainly not prescient, but, you know, a year ago when we're in the middle of the lockdown, I, I, I was saying to anybody who would listen, listen, this is an artificial economic recession. This was the government saying, we're locking down the economy. This yes. was not 2008 where, oh my goodness, things are just, you know, they're slowing down or slowing down more. When are they going to stop? Oh my goodness, financial institutions are starting to fail. That was scary. 2008, 2009, that was scary. This was the government artificially locking down the economy. And and my attitude in, in March and April of last year was, okay, what the government taketh away, the government will give back in this case. You know, they you knew they were going to reopen the economy at some point. You just didn't know when. But when I heard vaccines are starting to come out and they were going to go through a rapid approval process, I I, I just knew, okay, they're going to lift the lid off of this economy and watch out because a lot of people haven't been able to spend money. They haven't been able to travel. They haven't been able to do what they wanted to do. And they're going to come back uh, with a vengeance. And I've even heard it called revenge travel. You you know, I'm getting back to COVID. I'm getting out there. The heck with that. Yeah. Well, and there's no question. I mean, anytime I talk to anyone who's been to CVG lately, they're talking about the fact you can't find a spot in the parking lot. Yeah. Uh, you know, lines are becoming crazy long once again. Uh, more and more people are getting out there and traveling. And nearly half of Americans are fully vaccinated against COVID-19 at this point. Ohio's 45%, Kentucky 43%, Indiana 40%. Uh, so, Many of us are vaccinated and then comfortable, as you said, comfortable getting out there and traveling or in a lot of cases, Steve, people who would have normally traveled last year, maybe twice, uh, you know, have all that pent up demand. We talked to someone, um, a travel agent recently who said she's never in her and she's had a very long, great career here in the Tri-State area. She said she's never booked so many trips for like three trips at a time for one family. No kidding. Uh, yeah, because they are ready to get in. So it's like, okay, this month we want to go to Florida, and then next month we want to wow. go to Connecticut to visit family, and then the beginning of next year we're ready to go to Europe. Whatever that looks like, people are getting back out there again. They're spending, which is exactly what our economy has needed. Oh, good for her. Yeah, well, I mean, two-thirds of our economy is consumer spending. And yeah. when when people, I mean, I've met so many people when I'm updating their plans saying, uh, oh, oh, yeah, I've got a lot more in savings. What what could I spend it on? Yeah, you know, so yeah. they, people saved a lot of money last year, and and I get that completely. Well, I couldn't take that trip last year, so I'm going to take that one this year. But I also want to do a trip this year, in addition to the trip that I didn't take last yes. year that I'm taking this year. Catching up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I'll tell you a weird story though. I, I've got a uh, I've got a good friend that works for TSA down at CVG, mm-hmm. and they're having not 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 specifically at CVG, but at airports all over the country. And you know, a few of these make news, but a lot of them don't major issues with people that, you know, have never traveled, that want to get back out or haven't traveled in a long time or just have an attitude about what I can and can't do. And, mm. you know, they're, they're finding, you know, for instance, large knives in carry-ons that, oh um, what, what do you, you know, they, I don't think the people had any intent to do anything with them, but what do you mean you're taking away my knife? You can't take that away. 
Yes, you can. You're not allowed to bring that on board. We've There's some serious what, incidents. We've forgotten yeah. what to pack when we travel. I yeah. mean, even down to right the stuff that you can take through security yeah. as far as like how big your shampoo bottles can be. Yeah. I've heard that they're having to confiscate more and more of those that are just way too big. We have to learn these things yeah. again. You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC. Looking back on the first half of 2021, the economy looks good. The stock market continues to do pretty well, right? The Wilshire 5000 total market index closed 100.5% above its March 23rd, 2020 bottom. Uh, this is made up of only American companies. Yeah. Uh, it goes to show, first of all, how low we were last year, but how far we've climbed back. And that's a pretty pretty broad index. 5000 means 5000 companies that, yeah. that are being tracked, you know, and the Dow and the S&P, they haven't done quite as well, but they've done well. I, I think that's probably the biggest surprise to me, not just that we recovered in the stock. We always recover in the stock market. I mean, yeah. I've, I've done this a long time. You know, it always looks worse than it really is. And it and a lot of times looks better than it really is. And, and you know, things just nosedived a year ago. And the rebound, I, I figured it would come back. Last year, I would have been happy with break even if you talked to me in, in March or April. Yeah. Um, well, we did a lot we better. We all would have. We did a lot better than break even. I think the biggest surprise from an investment standpoint to me, Amy, is is we haven't seen a correction yet. You know, yeah. I, I should be careful because that's like going out and playing golf and saying, Knock on hey, wood. I'm getting the hang of this game and your next <laughs> shot is going in the woods, you know. But but seriously, we have seen such a, a, a market and economic rebound. It, it's blowing the doors off of all expectations. And, and there's no end in sight. I mean, the biggest problem we've got right now is growth is too rapid. It, yeah. It's incredible. Keeping up with demand, right? Yeah, There's yeah. not enough supply, especially when you look at the fact that many companies were forced to shut down or, you know, couldn't find workers during the pandemic, can't find workers now still because of that worker shortage. Yeah. All of that playing in here. But let's look at some local companies. Procter & Gamble, down 2.3% year to date. But keep in mind, this is the company that was firing on all cylinders during the pandemic. Everything you needed to make you feel safe during that time, Procter & Gamble made, right? So you were spending more money on on the toilet paper, on the sanitary, you know, on the wipes and the things like that that they make. So it's going to be tough for them to produce higher than they were, you know, yeah. Yeah. a year ago. Cintas, though, up 11 percent. Kroger up 21 percent. Fifth Third Bank up 40 percent. All three of those companies have either pivoted really well. Think about Cintas. OK, yeah. uniforms and things like that. But during the pandemic, they started delivering all of the needs that you would need, all the masks to your office, all the things that companies would need to stay open during that time and keep employees safe. Kroger, of course, pivoted to digital. Fifth Third Bank mm -hmm. shored up, right? Yeah. Uh, did not have as many loan defaults as it looked like they might going into this. Things are looking good for a lot of local companies. They they really are. And, you know, Cincinnati companies reflect Cincinnati. I mean, we're, yeah. we're you know, we're kind of a conservative, let's, you know, uh, save for a rainy day type of people. And, and you know, these companies, they, they know what they need to do. They're local, obviously, and their success is showing up in, in the price of their stock. It, you know, and, and we talk about the savings rate and how, how people save. Um, they're starting to spend it. I, I mean, when you yeah. look at the, the monthly savings rates, 12% of your income was saved in May of 2021. 
Um, that's higher than seven, eight, nine percent pre-pandemic, but it's a heck of a lot lower than thirty-four percent. You know, so that tells me we're spending, which is good for the economy. But there's a negative to to that kind of spending, Amy, and that's you know we're we're talking more about inflation. You know, yeah, yeah. if you're spending money, people are going to raise prices. If you are trying to hire, we're going to have to offer more money to get those people to work. And, and you know, that brings back some rough memories from late seventies, early eighties for a lot of investors out there. Is is this inflation going to heat up and is this going to be as bad as I remember it was like back then? And, and yes, and I've heard many people actually um, voice that concern. Yeah. And, you know, we've had Andy Stout, our, our chief investment officer on the show. I've read a lot about this. You know, yes, inflation is higher than it's been in recent memory. Nobody likes that. Nobody's comfortable mm-hmm. with that. But nobody who's an expert who looks at a number of factors when it comes to the economy is raising a flag at this point and saying we're yeah. heading toward where we were in the 70s. And I think that's really important to keep in mind. Yeah, I, I, I was there. I started my career in 1980. So I caught the tail end of that inflation. Yeah. It was it was scary. I, I mean, it really was. People Not remember no, they remember the twelve percent uh, CD interest rates, but they forget about <laughs> inflation was fourteen percent. Mortgages were fifteen percent. It, it was kind of nuts. Uh, we don't think it's anything like that uh, right now. They, these are temporary dislocations, which is a fancy way of saying yeah, the economy's reopening. It's reopening faster than we expected, and we can't get that for a couple weeks. Yeah, you know. So I think it'll end sometime in the next yeah, couple quarters or so. We should be fine. Here's the Simply Money point. The U.S. economy has recovered well through the first half of this year. Nobody, though, really knows when the next downturn will come. I don't know. Maybe Steve just jinxed us on that. We'll see. (laughs) Be careful where you step. You know, you think about Peloton and how, I mean, this place, this has just exploded. Everyone has their Peloton bikes and their treadmills. And now news that one of their products, my goodness, has has killed someone. It's a treadmill. Uh, And and several adults have actually been seriously injured. Um, This treadmill, Steve, has some kind of a short runway and a rotating surface. I don't think either you or I belong on this. Yeah, You know, I I never really got this. I, I mean, if I want somebody to yell at me while I'm exercising, I, I don't know. I, I'll just, you know, ask a friend or something. But, you know, Peloton's taken off and, and yeah. they're really, really fumbling th- this whole issue. I mean, this is serious. A, a little kid, a child got killed. Yeah. Um, apparently, this thing can be running even if you're not on it. And if a kid is nearby or crawls onto it or whatever, they can get wrapped up in the treadmill and obviously some serious uh, injuries. And, and yeah, you know, it, it's Peloton told customers that, okay, we've got a fix for this 30 $900 treadmill. I mean, these things aren't cheap, no. but you know, the fix is a software fix and, and it's going to cost you $39 a month to access this fix. I, I, I mean, this, no, I, I mean, that's, that's not a good, that's not a good PR uh, situation. Well- I, honestly, whoever that PR person is should be fired, or I hope they were fired the second after that was released. Because here's the thing. The product has been recalled. So you're now stuck with a $3,900 yeah. machine that is dangerous. Yeah. You can't sell it. You no. cannot legally sell something that has been recalled. So your only option is to spend 40 bucks a month, so about $500 a year, in addition, in order to have the safety features to make your, your 3,900 piece of equipment safe. So yeah. crazy. Peloton has now walked that back and said, actually, we're going to give this to you free for a few months, and we're going to try to work out the fix. It's like... 
PR misstep after PR misstep after just... Well, no, 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 no. I think you've got it wrong because they issued a statement. They said, we have no intention of making any owner of our products pay extra for safety. <laughs> but then they then they charge 39 bucks a month to, you know, make it safe. So, exactly. No, yeah, no, they, they had to do a voluntary recall. I, I mean, this is kind of too little, too late. But, you know, it's it's something that has to be fixed. And, and, and you know, there, if you own one and you've spent that money, you either ship it back for a recall. I, I think that's an option. Or, or you, you know, don't have to pay for three months. But then, you know how that works, Amy. You give me your credit card number and three months later, what's this charge? Oh, yeah, I guess it was free and it's not free anymore. Yeah, you know, just just fix the software, do whatever you have to do to make it safe, and move on and hope that, you know, the lawsuits aren't too severe because, you know, this is serious. Make it safe for your customers yeah. and do right by your customers. They're making a major investment. They should be safe yeah. on the workout equipment that they're buying from you. You know, see, we talked a lot about worker shortages recently, and there is one locally playing out that could impact all of us when it comes to our safety, when it comes to our medical care. Um, and this is at the University of Cincinnati Medical Center. Um, nurses there are saying, listen, if conditions here don't change, we're going to strike. Yeah, they they've got a contract that expires June 30th and and you know this is this is not like ne- of next year. This is coming up. A- yes. And apparently they're still in serious negotiations, but they've said if we don't have a viable contract and and it's not just about money. It's a, there's a, a serious shortage right now, not just at UC, but pretty much across the the country. UC is short about 500 nurses. They they have 500 nurse vacancies and, and the nurses are at the point of saying, you know, we can't provide the care that we need to provide if we're stretched that thin. So they already voted 99% approval to go on strike if this isn't settled by June 30th. Listen, it's one thing if you own a deli to say, I'm not going to be open on Thursdays, but it is quite another thing when you are 500 nurses short in running a hospital. Uh, You know, my mom was in intensive care at one point, and I think the nurses were one nurse on two patients. Oh my right? goodness. Yeah. I mean, that's and, you great. know, that's, yeah. that's how much care yeah. certain patients require. And, and UC has said we've, we've done the best that we can. We are trying to attract new nurses. Yeah. Um, we have canceled a lot of procedures and things like that that weren't mandatory, but this is a big issue because this is, this is the research hospital, right? In the area. This is where, uh, you know, a lot of innovation happens. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was a time when, you know, uh, we were really comfortable with my mom when she was alive going to UC, you know, great cancer care, great yeah, oncologist yeah. there. But if she were alive today and this were the situation, I would have concerns. So uh, this this nurse shortage is going to play out here locally, and it's something really worth keeping an eye on. It, it, it is. And besides being a, a fantastic facility, it's also the only level one trauma center in the city. In yeah. the whole area, you know, so, you know, you, you've got to have staffing there. And I, I think one of the things really ticking off the nurses, and, and I get this completely, is, okay, we're short 500 nurses. We obviously have to address this. And, you know, we're going to recruit. We're going to do this. But in the meantime, we're going to hire the these temporary nurses at double and, in some cases, triple the salary we're paying you. You've been here 20 years, and that's great, and we appreciate it. But we're going to bring this new person in that's never worked a day in, in this hospital uh at all. Uh, and we're going to pay them triple what we're paying you because we're a little short. I get 
the irritation. I get, I get it. the irritation, and I see it on both sides too. Because let's face it, UC is not the only one, right? There is a right. serious nursing shortage in our country right now. Right. And so, how do we attract people, right? How do we get people not only to come but to stay? You know, nurses saying, "Okay, we need to be paid more," uh, and, and UC saying, "Hey, we're going to step up. We're going to we're going to make you one of the leading paid." nurse, you know, nurses in the area, um, maybe because of the, as a result of this contract, but nurses asking for much more, right? The, the quotas yeah. of the number of patients they have to take care of and things like that. Um, you know, I, I see it from both sides and this is a tough one, tough one. These nurses, you know, need to feel supported at the same yeah. time. And there's a national nurse shortage. Hospitals don't have a lot of options. I, I saw this with my daughter-in-law out in Phoenix during the early stages of COVID. New York City was going everywhere across the country trying to get nurses to come in because obviously they had some serious issues. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, yeah. In the early stages, serious doesn't you know begin to explain it. And I think the offer was somewhere around it was some crazy number like ten thousand dollars. I think it was ten thousand dollars a month, if I remember right, wow. um, for a registered nurse. And you know, when when you're talking about a young family raising three kids, that was a game changer. But at that point, she said, um, "Nah, I don't think I want to go across the country, leave my family alone, and, and you know, worry about getting COVID myself." You know, so sure. she declined. But you know, that's what they were doing then. But that's a little different, don't you think? I, I mean, that's a pandemic. That's a, a you know, where did this come from? And you know, wow, we just have to scramble at you. You see, it, it just seems to me like, okay, this is just poor planning and we don't have the staffing we should have. And, and you know, we've got serious, serious staffing issues right now. I'll tell you what, what also I'm going to side with the nurses on, uh, on this, Amy, is they want it in writing a nurse-to-patient ratio, not just, okay, we're, we'll do our best and we'll make sure you're not short-staffed and you, you'll be able to take care of patients uh, the way you want to. They want it in writing. And and I, I think that's kind of a neat thing that nurses obviously care about their patients and they don't want something left out of their hands that that would allow for less than optimal care for their patients. The Ohio website, however, that lists all of the jobs, right, that are on this Ohio job bank, the number one thing they're looking for is nurses. So yeah. across the state of Ohio, across the region, across the country, there is a nursing shortage. It appears that maybe it could only get worse. It'll be interesting to see. I'm sure there's a lot of uh, hospitals looking at what UC does here as the ones who's, well, their contract sure. is up right now. They have to figure this out. This one will be an interesting one to see how it plays out and how this particular company deals with with a worker shortage, you know, in in their realm. Here's a Simply Money point. As our country faces a major labor shortage, some local healthcare workers, well, they may end up getting paid more and things might also change. A product is not always the solution if you have a financial problem, although there are some people out there who would tell you it's the perfect solution. So tonight, we're going to dig into this. What's the promise of annuities and some of maybe the real planning solutions that could actually make a little more sense in this situation? Right, well, and I think product was is the key word. You, you yes. didn't say investment. And I'm not anti-annuities, and I, I, I don't want to be labeled that. Some annuities can make sense for certain situations. The mm -hmm. problem I have, Amy, is the way that they are sold as a, a catch-all perfect investment for anybody who walks in the door because that, that's really not the case. In particular, we're, we're seeing a lot of equity indexed annuities. And, and these things, you know, when somebody walks in my office and says, hey, I've got this thing and I, you know, I'm not sure exactly what it is. Can you tell me a little bit about it? Well, okay, 
didn't buy it through me, but I'll, I'll take a look at it. And when I realize it's an equity indexed annuity, I, the first thing I say is, let me ask you this. Did they say it'll make money when stocks are going up, but you'll never lose money when stocks go down? Yeah. How did you know? Because that's how they sell these things, and it's it, it's one of those one of those uh, comments that has just a little bit of truth to it, but it's not really truthful. And people just they they just take home the the oh I I don't lose in this, and I make money when stocks go up. Why wouldn't I buy it? And and yeah, let let's dive into it a little bit. Well, I remember a couple of years ago, I was on vacation with my family in the South and we were listening to the radio and this guy comes on and he has a a voice like honey, super smooth, right? He's got that sweet little Southern twang and he is saying, and, and remember it was a time when there was some volatility in the market and, and he was saying, you deserve guaranteed income. When you get to mm-hmm. retirement, you don't need to worry about your finances. You've worked hard all your life. And of course, he gets around to the fact that the annuity is the only solution for people to never have to worry about money before. I wanted to like throw something at the radio at that I point know. because it sounded so easy. Uh, and what he, of course, did not say is, but keep in mind, there are likely high commissions here. If you decide this is not the product for you, well, you're also going to have to pay likely a surrender penalty and surrender fee Mm -hmm. and lots of lots of small print here that never gets talked about when someone tries to sell you an annuity and i say sell because that's what happens here they're not talking you into investing in something they're they're selling you a product well again uh, the term annuity it really just means that an insurance company is guaranteeing you payments for life if you choose to annuitize this product so okay it's a feature and and uh, of a type of contract with an insurance company. Notice I didn't say it's an investment. It's a contract with an insurance company. So if we're looking at different types, and and right now I'm talking about equity indexed annuities, well, that means, yeah, it has the option of turning it on for guaranteed income, but in the meantime, your money is invested or or it's, it's, it's based on a rate of return on certain indexes like the Dow Jones, like the Standard & Poor's 500. So in other words, you don't know what your return is going to be until the insurance company calculates out based on the contract what they what they are going to pay to you and, yeah. and you know it, it doesn't mean you're going to make as much as that index went up because they they can't do that and then guarantee you you don't lose so you've got to look at the fine print on these things and realize what are they going to pay me during good times what are the protections during down times and then let's take a hard look at what are they making off of my money in the meantime yeah. So they're promising you, right, all yeah. of the upsides of the market, none of the downsides here. Right. Keep in mind, they, these annuity salespeople do not have access to these amazing, magical products that you don't have access to. Th- this money is being invested in the same stock market that you invest in, right, mm-hmm. the same kind of bonds. So there's no magical formula that these annuities are drawing from. Um, so I think that's an important thing to keep in mind because that's one of the ways I think that they kind of make these sound like they're better than you could get anywhere else. And I think for a lot of you, these kinds of promises are designed to make you feel more confident about spending when you get to that point of retirement. Right, right. And you can take a different type of annuity called an immediate annuity if you want a guaranteed payout for life. These are appropriate in certain cases where yeah. you can take a lump sum, buy an immediate annuity, which means you immediately are starting to get a monthly income. And if you live to be 120, it's going to pay you for each one of those years Uh, until you pass away. So, you know, there are types of annuities that will guarantee you income for life uh, that you cannot outlive. 
But we're talking about equity indexed annuities, which, you know, you can turn on a feature like that, but you don't know how much is in it um, because uh, it's based on performance of various indexes. Here's the questions that I think everybody should ask themselves before they buy into any type of uh, annuity, but especially an equity indexed annuity. Go ahead and ask the salesperson, how much are you making? And don't take... Um, well, the company pays me. You don't pay me anything. No, that that's a bunch of you know what. Um, ask them for dollars and cents because it's usually six to eight percent of your investment. So if you're thinking of giving them a hundred thousand dollars, they've got between six and eight thousand reasons they want you to sign that paper. You know, if it's two hundred thousand, you're talking some serious money here. I mean, that could be you know twelve, fourteen, sixteen thousand uh, dollars they're going to make, which I know would be in their best interest. But is it? in your best interest. And then ask yourself, well, why are, am I not going to have full access to this money for the first six to 10 years? Why do you charge me this really large surrender charge if I decide three years down the road I want to take my money out and do something else? I, I mean, these are legitimate questions. What are the penalties? And if they were so good, how come colleges, charities, endowments, uh, big corporations, how come they're not putting their money in these? A lot of great questions, I think, to consider the next time you're getting maybe a little heat, a little pressure to buy one of these or considering one. Commercials can certainly make them sound really great. Just make sure you are doing your due diligence and your research to make sure that this is truly the best product for you. Here's a Simply Money point. Retirements are better served, we think, with personalized plans without expensive products. During this pandemic, people started looking differently at a lot of investments, right? We had GameStop, we had AMC, we had all these meme stocks, day trading. But now Bankrate is actually has a really interesting look at what you as Americans think are the best long-term investments. Joining us tonight with that, Greg McBride. He's a CFA, Chief Financial Analyst at Bankrate.com. I was really glad to see, Greg, that Americans don't think that these individual crazy stocks that people have been talking about are truly the best long-term investments. Yeah, I mean, I was, you know, alarmed at maybe some of the other things, but we'll get into that. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, the sentiment on the stock market just really does seem to fluctuate pretty wildly. And, uh, you know, that was, you know, another one of the revelations of this poll relative to what we had seen a year ago is that, uh, you know, a percentage of Americans pointing to the stock market as the best long-term investment was a lot lower than we would have expected, uh, you know, given the uh, the mania of just a few months ago. So what are Americans saying, right? If not the stock market, which you're right, I think is very disconcerting for a number of reasons. But if not that, then what? If if someone's looking for what they feel comfortable with as a long-term investment, what are most Americans saying that is? Well, it's real estate. Uh, the t- that's, you know, the sort of the tangible, uh, you know, actual, they're not making any more dirt uh, tagline. Uh, and, and real estate's one that fares very consistently in this poll. We've been doing this poll almost a decade now. Real estate's always in the top two or th- or three, but usually yeah. one of the top two spots year in, year out. And the sentiment doesn't fluctuate very much. Last year, the stock market was on top. Um, but that's, again, the sentiment had, had really never been higher, uh, t- towards the stock market when we did this poll this time last year. And of course, this time last year, you know, the market was, you know, in a headlong rebound, uh, after the, uh, the, you know, the initial, uh, 34% decline in the initial stage of the pandemic. And the market came back to double and was in the process of that. So sentiment was really high. It was just very surprising to see that sentiment come in so much lower this year, 
considering that the last 12 months have been pretty good in the market and with a real lack of downside volatility. And yet, despite that, uh, the uh, you know propensity to select the stock market as the best long-term investment fell by almost half, and it really came in a distant third. Is there any insight as to why you're right? I mean, the stock market has been on a tear since the last time you took this study. Uh, so why would it be that over the past year, Americans have become maybe less comfortable with the stock market? You know, that's a real head scratcher. It's one of a couple head scratchers that we found in this year's poll. And, you know, that's one of them because it's not that that fluctuation in sentiment is new. No, far from it. We've seen that play out time and time again. It's just that it's and historically, it's been correlated with performance. In other right. words, stock market does well, sentiment goes up. Stock market has a sharp pullback, sentiment goes down. And this year, sentiment went down despite a market that's gone, you know, nothing but up. So, you know, I mean, unless it's a reflection of, you know, concerns about valuation or, you know, the fact that we are overdue for a sharp correction, yeah, maybe. I'm not sure the average everyday Americans maybe that dialed into the the details to to you yeah. know you know to really have that affect their opinion but you know I could be wrong so when you look at this research um, from from an age perspective an income perspective does anything change anything interesting jump out at you at that point we did really notice some big differences on on income and and not altogether surprising higher income households uh, did have a, a larger propensity for the stock market and for real estate Lower income households did have more of a propensity for cash uh, as, as opposed to the riskier investments. Um, when we looked at it on the basis of age, a couple of surprising things. Um, you, you know, that shift in sentiment uh, away from the stock market and toward cash was fairly broad based. It wasn't just based on, you know, one particular age co- cohort. It was pretty consistent, particularly that preference uh, for for cash. Um, The other thing of of note, and this is not surprising, but, you know, when we polled about not only what you think the best investment is, but but your comfort level of investing with cryptocurrency, um, it was uh, the younger set that was, you know, had the highest level of comfort with cryptocurrency. They were more likely to point to that as the best investment over the next 10 years, albeit, uh, you know, a small percentage saying so. You're listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55 KRC. We are joined by Greg McBride. Interesting research as to what Americans' top preferred investments are. Stock market falling out of favor, apparently, um, for real estate and cash. Greg, I find it especially interesting that right now when we're looking at these higher inflation rates than, than most of us are probably comfortable with, that cash has become a favored investment, if you will. Yeah, and I mentioned there were a couple of head scratchers, and this is the other one, yeah. right? Is you know at a time where interest rates are at record lows, inflation's perking up, yet we saw cash uh, kind of a close second in terms of uh, preferences on uh, preferred investment for money you wouldn't need for more than ten years. And we word that question that way: it's more than ten years, so it's you know there's there's no ambiguity as to whether it's for short term needs or long term needs. Mm-hmm. We're asking about long-term needs, and yet one in four Americans pointed to cash uh, as their preferred investment. So uh, we've seen high uh, preference for cash in the past, mostly as a reflection of uh, risk aversion. Um, you know, yeah. when there were questions about the you know the economy uh, in years past, 
that's when you know when we had seen a lot of volatility in markets, we noticed that. Uh, but kind of surprising to see it at this point when you know real estate's booming. Stock market's done really well. Interest rates are at record lows and inflation's perking up, and yet cash uh, surges to a close second. So when you look at this research, Greg, what do you think the top takeaways should be for the average long-term investor? Uh, You know, don't time the market. Um, You know, we see sentiment change wildly and oftentimes in, in correlation with performance. You know, we saw a big drop off in, in sentiment towards the stock market, you know, despite, uh, you know, a, a year of strong performance, maybe some of that reflects valuation concerns. But we've also seen a growing preference and comfort level for crypto. Uh, again, not a long-term track record yet, about one in 11 people are willing to say that that's the best long-term investment option. Uh, and, you know, the comfort level has grown, you know, in tune with the, the performance. Um, you know, I think if, if that's another one where, you know, if performance does, is, is really strong in crypto, well, the sentiment's going to continue to go up. And if crypto prices fall off the table, well, you know, so is this, the sentiment. And, you know, when we're talking about long-term investing, you got to think big picture. You got to think long term. Don't try to time the market. Have a strategy. Stick with it through thick and thin. Uh, and you know, I think that that means you know, emphasizing the stock market. You know, real estate's another good one, but again, it's a long term investment, uh, not a get rich quick scheme. So just because maybe your friends or neighbors changed how they felt about the stock market over the past year, if you have a long-term plan, stick with it. Don't let headlines or anybody else's feelings change how you're investing. Great perspective tonight from Greg McBride, Chief Financial Analyst at Bankrate.com. You've been listening to Simply Money tonight here on 55KRC, the talk station. You've been listening to the best of Simply Money. Now, if you could do us a favor, send the show to a friend if you think they may benefit from it too. At All Worth Financial, we help you retire better.